We are starting a new series today called uh, What, well, actually, we're going to ask the question today, uh, what is an elder? But the, the series is called Elder Led, and it's really about upside down leadership. So in the church, leadership should look very, very different to the way that it looks in the world. And so we're just going to go into two passages today. And uh, I've got some fantastic readers coming up in just a moment. And uh, today we're going to ask, what is an elder? Next week we're going to look at, what does an elder do? And we're also going to be looking at um, the gender-specific roles in eldership and in leadership in the church. Um, but for today, all we're asking is, what is an elder? And that, I think if you are not used to church, that's a kind of question that you're thinking, hmm, yeah, tell me, what is an elder? Because I, I have no idea what you're on about. I mean, that is a weird concept to me. And then for those of us in the church, who've maybe been in, in the church for a long time, grown up in the church, you might have some baggage. You might think, well, an elder to me is this, or an elder to me is that. And um, we'd just like to clarify, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about what eldership is? And uh, what should we be looking for in eldership? And then next week, when we start to look at what an elder actually does, we're then going to make some exciting announcements. So look out for that next week. Readers, come on up. I'll socially distance from you. Further, further. There we go. Right. I'm reading from uh, Paul's letter to Titus, and it goes like this. Chapter 1, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. I'm reading from 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. It says, here's a trustworthy saying, Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience, they must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. 
A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Wonderful. Thanks, guys. All right, so you may have noticed that uh, those qualifications are for elders, but also for deacons. And what we are assuming here is that if the qualifications are there for deacons, they are also there for elders. But we are talking specifically about eldership today. Okay, um, So we're not looking at appointing deacons at the moment. We're looking at appointing elders in the church as one of the foundational steps uh, as to uh, what our uh, church is going to look like as we start moving forward together. Okay, Shall we pray? Lord God, thank you that you are a God who cares intimately about your church, about your family. I thank you, Father, that we get to be family. I thank you, Lord, that you are directing our steps and uh, that you have given us clear biblical instructions on what to do when it comes to appointing elders, these fatherly uh, figures amongst us, these people who are to stand amongst us as men of good character, who love you, who adore you, who uh, give great example as to what it looks like to pursue you. And so, God, would you help us in that? Would you help those who will be appointed into eldership? But will you also help us, the rest of us, um, to to know what, what does that relationship actually look like for us and how does it benefit us and how is it that this is good for us and help us just to follow in your ways as a church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what is an elder? Well, I'm sorry, sports analogy again. Um, they just come so easily for some reason. I don't know why. So one of the Patriot staff members was asked a while ago, by the way, the Patriots are an American football team uh, in American New England Patriots playing Boston. Decent team. Not my favorite, but they're all right. And um, they have the most successful quarterback and coach combination of all time. They have, of course, Bill Belichick. Some of you are like, of course. No. What are you talking about? And Tom Brady, the quarterback, an absolute legend. Now, when they're looking... Um, for a new quarterback back in the day when they didn't have loads of success. Uh, one of the staff members said this. He said, we weren't looking for a tall, lanky quarterback that ran a 5.3 time in the 40-yard dash. By the way, that's not very fast. We were looking for personal integrity and prioritized a quarterback with mental toughness and character. What they recognized was that if they wanted long-term success, if they wanted something that would not just be impressive in a moment, not just draw the crowds for a couple of games, but actually would give them long-term success, they needed not just raw talent, not just charisma, but character. They needed someone who had faithfulness, who had mental toughness, who would do the right things no matter how tough, who would keep going even when success wasn't coming. It's a wise decision. Really wise. Something that you might not expect to see in the world. And often, we don't see that in the world, do we? An elder in the church is not qualified by their performance. 
as if they're going for a job interview. Not longer after I'd completed my theological training, I uh, started working in a church. And um, it was in a Baptist church, and I became an associate pastor eventually. Now, this isn't the way that I became an associate pastor there, but the standard thing to do in the Baptist church at that time, and I think in many ways still is, was for there to be a job, a job advert going out. Then you might get an interview, go along for the interview. Then if that went well, you might go along and spend a day maybe with that church. And then you would do something that they call preaching with a view, right? basically means you preach, and if they're impressed, they employ you, okay? I, I felt that that just was deeply unbiblical. I just felt, oh man, like, I get why you're doing it that way, but I, I just had this conviction that that isn't the way it was supposed to be, and I'd felt called to eldership. I felt called to, to being a pastor, and by the way, when I'm talking about eldership, I'm also talking about pastor. I'm also talking about shepherd because those three terms, and overseer actually as well, are, are, those four terms are used synonymously in Scripture. So when we're talking about elder here, I'm talking about those things as well. But we're going for elder because I think in terms of what we normally would use for that word, because I think the other ones can give us the impression of something that actually isn't quite there. So it's more than being pastoral, being an elder. And uh, it's more than shepherding. It's more than caring for the sheep. It's actually, it's more than, than kind of the, the, maybe the, the kind of uh, analogy that we see there. But it's not only is, there, is it more than that, but actually that, that's something that I think in the city of Glasgow maybe we're going to struggle to understand. Uh, we're not all farmers anymore. And so elders, the one we're going to talk about most, but... Um, all the others apply, and we'll talk a bit about them in a moment, okay? Um, but anyway, I, back to where I was. In uh, this uh, Baptist church, I'm thinking, man, this is supposed to be relational. So the more that I'm reading in Scripture, the more I'm seeing that this is supposed to be life on life. People are supposed to see my life for all that it is. It's not supposed to be a job interview. It's not supposed to be, oh, I'm impressed with one preach. It's supposed to be, you see my life, you see what I'm really all about, and in that, you see something of character that seems to be right for godly leadership. So I decided what I would do was go and get another qualification, and then I would go and work it uh, elsewhere and just attend a church that I loved. And so that's what we did. So we ended up down south at a church called Gateway Church, and um, on the south coast of England, and after a couple of years, that's what happened. There was a recognition of character as employed, and then after a while, we were sent up here to plant Glasgow Grace. And so that's what happened. God really blessed us in that. And so as a church, right from the beginning, what we want to be saying is, hey, this is not about performance. This is about, do we see the character it's laid out here in Scripture for, a, for, a, for an elder. And so that's what, we're, that's what we're doing. That's what we're setting out uh, right from the beginning. And now these characteristics should be the increasing markers of any godly person, shouldn't they? This isn't just... So you read through these lists and you think, oh man, right, 
This is my opportunity to judge all the people that I think might be elder material. That, that's not what we're doing here. Actually, these are characteristics of any godly person. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, okay, my role here is just to kind of assess, is that person really up to being an elder? Or is that person up for... No, no, that's, that misses the point. Actually, it's more than that. We should be thinking, how am I becoming more like that? And we do want our elders, of course, to meet these qualifications. This isn't just about saying, well, who's going to be the elder? We're also thinking, who, uh, sorry, not who, how am I uh, becoming um, more and more like this, increasing this godly character? So they're laid out for us right here, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, and Titus 1, 5 through 9. And I think what's immediately obvious is that these are the kind of characteristics that you might think, oh, you know what? That seems pretty hard. Is there actually anyone who can do it? Is there anyone out there who actually meets all of this? And so we have a little phrase at the beginning of both. I don't know if you noticed it, but it really helps us. And that is above reproach. So it's like a little qualifying statement. And uh, I just think, oh, thank you, Lord, for that qualifying statement. Because if it was me perfectly meeting all of these, there's no way that I'd ever be able to be an elder. Okay, so that's not what we're saying. We're not saying that every, every one of these has to be perfectly met. Actually, what it means really is this, this qualifying statement above reproach. It's saying that we don't, that these people should be able, without us uh, having to m- make any kind of reasonable uh, judgment on them, we should be saying there is no hypocrisy here in these areas. They are not qualified if there is hypocrisy there. And what we're saying is they should be growing in these characteristics. They should be the kind of people that we look to and we go, yeah. I can't fault them there. I can't fault them there. As long as we're judging with uh, sincerity, we're not trying to slander, and this is, we're, re- we're really seeing that in their lives. We know them well. We go, yeah, I can see that. I can see that that is the type of character that they have, and they're growing in it. It's not perfect in every area, but they are growing in it. I can see that there's godly character there, and, and I don't think there's hypocrisy there. They're not failing on any of those things. So, here they are, okay? Here's what elders should be. You ready? Elders should be clear thinkers. Sober-minded, 1 Timothy 3, 2. Now, don't think of drink and drugs here, okay? That's, that's coming. Um, but this is actually, it's more about not being easily prone to drama, to extreme emotional outbursts. You should be steady, reliable. You don't panic. And they think clearly, especially under pressure. It's been interesting to watch how people have responded um, during coronavirus, isn't it? And all of us have responded in different ways. Changing plans, pressures put on our careers, uh, the changes to our social lives, our working environments have changed. Some of you have got kids running around your feet while you're trying to work and all that kind of thing changes to your family lives and social lives, everything. 
And it's these moments that tell us a great deal about a person, about their character. What are they trusting in? Now, our elders should be able to respond calmly in a situation like that. Not immediately making a big drama out of it all, but trusting God and taking prayerful and considered decisive action where required. But they don't, they don't react quickly, necessarily, only if necessary. They're steady thinking. And elders should be warm and welcoming people. Hospitable, 1 Timothy 3, 2, and Titus 1, 8. So not only should, be, should they be hospitable in their own homes, but they should be warm and welcoming people. Do you know what I mean by that? They kind of, they welcome you into their person. You know, you're in their presence and you suddenly feel more at ease. They're able to kind of draw you in. Despite being a leader, they have a way that just means you're comfortable. You're okay. You're not put on edge. Elders should generally help you feel at home when you're with them. Elders should be humble, not arrogant, Titus 1.7. PJ Smythe says this, humility, PJ Smythe um, helps lead the advanced network of churches, a family of churches we belong to. He says, humility comes from great is he, not woe is me. Because any self-focus will eventually result in pride. You get that? And actually, it's true, isn't it? Arrogance or the opposite of humility, pride, it isn't always worked out through us making much of ourselves. It can actually be worked out making little of ourselves. We kind of feel sorry for ourselves a lot, and it's, it's actually quite self-focused. And so true humility here is a, is a kind of self-forgetfulness, and, and it's our turning our eyes to God. And so what we want from our elders is we want people who turn their eyes upward, look to God for guidance, and we trust that they're doing that. They're not self-focused. You know, if, if it becomes all about Ian, or if it becomes all about whoever, then there's a, there's a big problem. It's all about me, Ian. If I, if I start singing that, if you overhear me and I'm singing next to you, and I'm like, it's all about me, Ian. Like, there's a big problem. Good singer, aren't I? Is that why you're laughing? I'm so good. Um, we want self-forgetful elders. We want humble elders. Elders should be about peace, not quarrelsome, not quick-tempered, and not violent but gentle. Titus one seven, one Timothy three three, not double-tongued. One Timothy three eight. The 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 church needs elders to care for them, not lose their temper with them, or speak badly of them behind their backs. Like a good parent, right? You know, you've seen this. It might not have happened in your own life, but you've seen other good parents, and they can talk clearly and lovingly, even where someone is causing loads of trouble, even in the church family. And that needs to be especially true when corrections required. So if you've got someone who's always looking for trouble, means they're not elder qualified. 
Elders should be generous and wise with money. It says, not greedy for uh, dishonest gain, 1 Timothy 3.8. Not a lover of money, 1 Timothy 3.3. Not greedy for gain, Titus 1.7. So money's not the issue here, is it? It's okay to be wealthy. The issue here is loving money. When an elder looks at their own bank account, I think it should have two markers. Contentedness. They're not going off and spending sprees all the time when they're feeling down or whatever. And to generosity. That you should be able to look at an elder's bank account and just go, oh man, wow. They're, they're so generous. They're clearly generous people and they're clearly contented. The heart is so easily taken by money. And usually it causes people to either be really greedy or really stingy. So if the guy is always looking for ways of getting out of paying, he's not elder qualified. You know, patting their pockets at the bar can't be an elder. That's good news, isn't it? Elders should be self-controlled. So that means that not addicted to much wine, 1 Timothy 3, uh, 3 and 8, not a drunkard, Titus 1, 7. Jesus, now, Jesus openly drank wine, didn't he? He enjoyed wine. But even while he hung around with drunks, he never had to stagger home singing Frank Sinatra, crying about how much he loves his friend who's picking the sick out of his beard. He never did that. He may have enjoyed wine, but he did it without getting drunk. And that should be the same as elders. I enjoy a good beer. I like a dram. Occasionally, I like a nice glass of wine on date night. I'm not very good at telling what kind of wine it is or anything like that, but, you know, I enjoy it. And uh, when an elder drinks alcohol, though, they shouldn't ever wake up the next morning and think, was I drunk last night? Did I have a bit too much to drink? If they're asking that question, clearly not elder qualified. They should be able to control their intake of anything, actually. There shouldn't be a kind of addiction to anything. You should be able to control it. Um, whatever that is, you should be able to control their intake. And they'll be acutely aware of other people around them. So that might mean that someone with them uh, has been an alcoholic, is an alcoholic, and they recognize, I'm not going to drink when I'm with that person. Or it might be that someone believes that no Christian should drink. And out of respect and conscience, they probably won't drink around them either. Elders should pastor at home. Now, there's a big list here. And there's a reason that there's a big list. I'm going to go through it, okay? He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 5. The husband of one wife, 1 Timothy 3, 2, Titus 1, 6. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things, 1 Timothy 3, 11. His children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, keeping his children submissive, Titus 1, 6, 1 Timothy 3, 4. It's quite a lot, isn't it? 
It's a lot to do with the family. So why is that? Well, what Paul isn't saying is that single people or anyone who doesn't have kids couldn't be an elder. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, and I think the logic is this, if you are a husband or, or you're a dad, you already have a family, and that is a natural testing ground for you. So if you can't lead at home, it's unlikely you're going to be able to lead in the church, isn't it? In fact, we know that you won't be able to. So that's why Paul lays it out like this. Paul, remember, and Timothy were not married, didn't have families. So I think the implication here is that if you do have a family, this is a good measure. But if you don't, then you can still be qualified as an elder. Because there are certain people that you know they're going to be good husbands, good dads, if ever at all. But you know they would be if they were. Paul wrote to the husbands in Ephesus, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is essentially what an elder is to do within the church as well. It's to lay himself down for the sake of the church. Actually, we're going to talk about this next week, but at the heart of what it means to be a leader in the church, not just an elder, but a leader, and, and of course that is men and women across the church who, who may lead, that they are to lay themselves down so that they can equip the saints. That's a primary role of any leader in the church, is to equip the church, equip others for ministry, not do all the ministry themselves. An elder is not the kind of guy who comes in from work expecting dinner on the table at 6 p.m. before retiring to his man cave and just lets his wife get on with putting the kids to bed and tidying up and all that stuff. He gets his hands dirty. Roles in the household of God are not fixed. And the 1950s housewife is not a good picture of biblical teaching on gender roles. I do the cleaning in our house, for instance. Okay? Some of you are like, what? Man, if you think that's beneath you, you're not elder qualified. That doesn't mean you have to do the cleaning in your house, okay? <laughs> Just works for us. Now, let me be clear that there is no elder's wife role in the New Testament. And we should be pretty careful about putting any more pressure on an elder's wife than there already is. We honor elder's wives. We will honor elder's wives at Glasgow Grace by ensuring that there is no expectation of rule and that each wife of an elder will, whoever that is appointed and in the future, won't have a job description. And we all have to play our part in that and helping them to see that there is not more expectation on them than there should be. But in saying that, it is clear from these texts that a wife shouldn't be the type who is going around the church slandering. Shouldn't be the type who doesn't have godly character. So a, a, an elder in the church needs to be, uh, his, him and his wife need to be together in this. They need to be together in this. 
they can't, it can't be that they're going in different directions. Now, you've heard us talk about being equally yoked. And so, you know, if there's ever a, a young person in the church say, oh, I want to get married or whatever, one of the first things we'll point them to is being equally yoked. And the whole picture of, biblical picture of being equally yoked is that you're, you're pulling a plow together um, like your cattle. <laughs> nice picture, eh? Like your cattle, you're side by side, but you're pulling in exactly the same direction. That's what equally yoked means. So you're going in the same direction. And that is so important for an elder's wife because there will be lots of expectation that is put on you as a family. And if you're not going in the same direction, it's going to be pretty tough. Parents, good parents. It's important that elders are good parents. Now, this doesn't mean you can't be an elder if your kids aren't following Jesus. And I just want to clarify that. Because if we take this in the context of all of Scripture, we know that who is it that saves? It's God that saves. I can't save Annabelle. I can't save Finley. What can I do? Well, I can invest in them. I can love them with godly love, but also invest in them in, in Scripture and in prayer and making sure that they get along to church and all these things. I can bring them up in the Lord, right? But that's all I can do and pray for them a lot. That's all I can do. And that is what we're asking. We're not asking that they necessarily are, you know, on fire for Jesus all the time. Elders should be consistent at church and away from church. Well thought of by outsiders, 1 Timothy 3, 7. Where a person is consistent with all the groups in which they interact with, then we can say there's a high chance that they're full of integrity. It's not one face at work, another face at home, and another one in the church. People are sure about who an elder is, and they know they will treat them justly and lovingly no matter what context they find them in. Elders have been through storms. It says, and let them also be tested first. 1 Timothy 3.10. Someone who, who knows a, th a thing or two about life, right? Now that doesn't mean, again, that they have to be older. They don't have to be uh, long in years. By Paul's treatment of Timothy, who is to strengthen and appoint elders and churches, shows us that it's not about age, okay? It's about coming through tough times while holding firmly to the Word of God. It's a time of proving that their faith is not built on the sand, but built on the rock. So, what are elders? Well, elders are men of God are clear thinkers, they're welcoming, they're humble, peaceable, generous, self-controlled, pastors at home, they're likable, and they're tested. Above reproach in these areas, not perfect, remember, by any means, but certainly not hypocritical, are failing in these areas and growing by the grace and love of God. Now, the last thing I want to say on all of this is that let's always go back to this, okay? This is not us saying that it's all about works. 
In fact, this kind of person can only be this kind of person with all integrity if they're living out of a place of grace. God's free and loving grace. They rely on God, not turning to their own strength and their own power all the time to do this. It's not about trying to be the most impressive guy you can be. It's about trusting in God. It's about turning to him time and time again, relying on him and his power and his strength and the Holy Spirit to bring about fruits in your life. Let me pray for us as, as a church because this is about to be, in the next couple of weeks, quite big moments for us as we look at who is going to be assessed for eldership. So I just want to be really clear on a couple of things. This, we're going to make an announcement next week about who will go forward for eldership. And um, those people will be people who uh, we obviously believe have these characteristics. Um, but it's also really important for us to recognize that they're going to be assessed Okay, so next week is an announcement. Oh, they're the elders. That's it. No, no, they're going to be assessed over a period of time. That assessment has actually already begun, and we're just making that official for all of you guys to know. But then there's going to be a period of time where you can give feedback. You can say, oh, okay, great. I see that in this person. I see that in this person. Or, actually, I've got some concerns. Here are my concerns. And if those concerns are, are pretty serious then we'll raise them with uh, advance and the guys who are assess, helping to assess uh, those who are being assessed. Does that make sense? Great. Lovely. Right, let me pray. Lord God, thank you that we're back together. Father, we, we do thank you that uh, you have laid these characteristics out in Scripture for us, that we can see them clearly. And so, Father, we lay ourselves down as a church right now, and we say, God, help us to be people who are willing uh, to follow uh, these elders as we follow you, Jesus. Would these elders who we put forward for assessment, would they truly humble themselves before you? God, help us to be people who lay ourselves down and say that we are nothing more nothing more than followers of you Jesus we want to follow you with everything we've got and those under shepherds those elders Lord would they be particularly diligent at pursuing you in every decision that they make in every way in which they lead in this church in Jesus name Amen